Pulp MX Network Production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome, everybody, to the Pulp Hockey Podcast. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. My name's Steve Mathis. Thanks for listening. You can get it on Stitcher. You can get the show on iTunes. You can get it on uh, pulphockey.com. We really appreciate it. Are you fumbling around with old-school hockey whiteboards that won't erase? Tired of drawing plays over plexiglass? The solution is here, writeyboards.com. Use the code PULP to save yourself 15%. What this thing is, is a, it's a first portable, restickable hockey whiteboard that sticks to virtually any surface. Stick them to the rink, peel it off, slap it up in the locker room. Uh, these guys are great, really cool invention, neat technology, so check them out. And also, too, we thank uh, uh, Two Under, the number two UNDR. Ferraro 20 codes gets you uh, 20% off UNDR, the best men's underwear out there. A lot of NHL players are using them, and uh, they fit great. And so please check them out. Use the code Ferraro20. And I appreciate it. With me on the line, uh, one of the premier game co- game analysts in the sport, um, NBC Sports, TSN, uh, done, done some avalanche studio work, doing uh, now the Tampa Bay Lightning color, and of course, ESPN2, forever, all in our hearts, former NHL defenseman, Stanley Cup winner, Brian Englund. What's up, Brian? How are you? I'm good, Steve. How are you? Good. Thank you for doing this. Thanks for taking the time for us. You bet. When you meet fans of the game i guess it depends on how old they are do they want to talk about playing with those mighty montreal canadian teams espn2 <laughs> or do they want to start talking to you immediately about uh, um you know sort of tampa tampa bay lightning and, and winnipeg jets and things like that oh it starts with, with the here and now uh, okay <laughs> pretty well pretty well all the time um the other stuff does come up for mm-hmm. sure um and depends where you are. I mean, if I'm in Eastern Canada, you know, and you're around the rinks and um, just came from Toronto and people, a couple of people started talking about the Montreal teams for sure. sure yeah. So it all depends where you are, mm-hmm. which subject wants to come up. But, you know, people are in the here and now and Tampa, Tampa Bay's got uh, such a, you know, a terrific team and they're really on the upswing right now with the playoffs around the corner. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's, uh, that's been a, a huge topic, uh, as you can understand. Yeah, absolutely. You're doing, uh, and we'll get into some ESPN days and everything else. But you're doing uh, Tampa Bay Lightning for Sun Sports down there. Um, it's a it's a yeah. nice broadcast, by the way. I, I watch it every now and then. And but you did national games with NBC Sports. You did regional games with TSN in Canada with the Winnipeg Jets. Is it something where you like? Did you want to get back on the road because you're doing, you know, obviously all the games uh, were Tampa for Sun Sports or most of them, I imagine. Anyways, I think that's all of them. Yeah. Um. Did yeah. you want to just get back on the road and get with the team? Is that someone you, you miss the traveling, Brian? <laughs> oh, it's always been travel. Um, the travel is actually way easier now. Oh, it is. Um, oh, okay. I'd, oh, yeah, because we I travel on the charter with the team. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, that yeah, that is sweet compared to uh, <laughs> being in commercial flights all the time. I mean, I still do about one game a month for for NBCSN or NBC main network. I was mm-hmm. in Chicago the other day. Um, so, you know, getting back on commercial travel, even for a day or two, I was like, Oh, where's that charter again? Oh, I know. It's one of the, 
one of the great sweet parts of it. But but I wanted, and I've you know I've done what uh, national you know going back to the ESPN days, mm-hmm. and then you know versus becoming NBCSN, et cetera, twenty plus years. Um, and you know the only time um, was one year in Columbus, which I really enjoyed, and you know working for a team, I enjoyed Columbus, the organization, and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ever since then, uh, I've, you know, nosed around from year to year, year to year to see, you know, what other opportunities might be there because I, I miss working for a team and, and that was, oh, that okay. was the yeah. real calling for me. Oh yeah. yeah. It's, it's just different. You're just closer. You're, you know, you're, you're part of the group. You're, you're not, you know, you're just on the fringe, mm-hmm. you know, you're part of it. You travel with them. You do every game except the ones that are on national TV. So, but you have that connection, and and that's what I've really missed all those years, and that was the big attraction for me. And then for a chance when I when I knew that the the job was available in in uh, Tampa, I put my name on the list uh, mm-hmm. right away. I mean, you can't get a, a better situation. The entire National Hockey League, tremendous ownership, yeah, beautiful city, terrific organization, great team. I mean, it's a home run all the way around, and uh, it's been even better than I hoped it would be. As a guy that flies, I cover the sport of supercross and motocross. I fly about 120,000 miles a year to these races, and I go to Europe. I've flown private one time, Brian, and I'll never forget it. It was so glorious. Yeah. It was so oh, it's incredible. It was so, so yeah, it's a fun. totally it's a totally different thing, Steve. That and that's a, a huge extra perk over and above all the yeah. things I just talked about. Working for this organization, being able to just uh, go to the you know at home, we go right to the to the uh, part of the airport where the private charter leaves mm-hmm. and uh it's on and off you get off the plane get on the bus go right to the hotel it's it's terrific yeah yeah oh, you gotta you gotta try it i did it once and i i'll never forget <laughs> it i tell i tell my wife all the time it was the greatest moment of my life um yeah we, we stopped in kansas oh, no, don't tell her don't tell her that again you, <laughs> i know she won't, she's gonna change the lock next time you come back and we stopped in kansas at some airport to fuel up and uh we got something to drink and got back on and went back to california it was great Absolutely. Yeah. Um, do you change your style at all from a, you know, like you said, you get to know the guys, you're on the fringes of the guys, you know them by their names. I'm sure you put a Y or an IE on everybody's name. So you know them that well, but do you change your style a little bit um, from, from over the years, ESPN two to NBC uh, sports to now doing week in and week out uh, a calling of these guys that you get to know personally, right? You get to know them a little bit. Do you find yourself changing things up? Uh, yeah, you you do uh, change it a little bit when you work for a team as compared to national. There's there's no doubt about that. When you, when you work for a team, you're fan, you're doing the game for your fans. I, I mean, you know, everybody yeah. around the league can watch it around the world for that matter. Whoever has you know the right. you know, the hockey package, NHL package, I, I understand that. But you're doing it first and foremost for your fans, for your city, and for your people. So every play that happens. Um, I, you know, and I'm not alone here. The other guys mm-hmm. do the same thing. Yeah. You, t- you take it from your team's standpoint. Whether it's good or bad, you take it how it affects your team and what your team guys do. So it's not like you're never going to say, you know, so-and-so and the other team, what, what a great player. That, you know, the goaltender yeah. made a great save. But like Toronto last night, uh, Sparks made some outstanding saves yeah. for the Leafs. And, you know, and you just go, oh, Sparks was, you know, terrific in that first period. If it wasn't for him, it could have been three or four nothing for the Lightning. So it's not like you never do it, but you look at the game from from the Lightning side more often. When you do the national game, um, you're always looking for balance, mm-hmm. and you go from whichever side 
is uh, is playing better, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, and if it starts to be uh, a real one-sided affair on the scoreboard, that's pretty obvious. But sometimes there are one-sided games, and the score is still only one or two goals difference. You end up talking about the game, and sometimes you walk away and. You know, fans from both teams are yelling at you, like, why do you hate our team? Exactly the same game. You know, you walk out and one fan is yelling at you, and then you get 15 feet farther down and somebody else is going, saying exactly the same thing about their team. Mm -hmm. They hear what they want to hear, and you understand that. You know, that's the way it is. So you get paid to have your opinion, but you get paid to, you know, to tell the story as best you can based on, on what you see. And then also trying to balance that there's always stories going on behind each team. Yeah. And some of them are, are better and, and juicier and better television than, than others someday. Mm-hmm. So I, I get that sometimes fans can, you know, hear, uh, like, why are you talking about their team all the time? Well, sometimes there are just some really good stories going on, mm-hmm. more of them than on your team. So you just got to bear with it. It's, but it's always about trying to strike some balance, and uh, therein lies the rub. Right, right. And it's funny, too, like when I report on these racers for a living and I write about these races and I do these podcast shows and things like that, there's things I know behind the scenes that I'm not going to write about or talk about, but these are friends of mine, oh, of guys course. I know. But it helps shape my narrative onto as to why a guy is struggling or a racer is doing really well. And I imagine for you also, uh, being a following a team now, like, you know what these guys are going through, and they're just human beings. You played the game forever, so you know also. Um, and that helps you as an analyst. So you're like, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut this guy a bit of slack because I know what's going on behind the scenes a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah you, you're bang on there. And even just being around the team every day at practice mm-hmm. and watching them and, you know, body language, things like that. Yeah, you can read into a lot of things, and it gives you a lot more insight into who a player really is and what makes yep. them tick. And you can tell you can tell when they're in a slump, you know, before it sort of becomes public knowledge, you know, if you know what I mean, before right. the numbers really start to show it. Things yep. like that, for sure. Right. And, yeah, there is no doubt. I mean, we, we get told things all the time. You know, you, yep. you have to earn your trust from the players and from the coaches and from the management's you know, in, in our sport. And, you know, we have great people in our sport at all those levels. They're terrific to deal with. Some are more, you know, closed and withdrawn than others. And some are very forthright. And a lot of times, you know, a player or coaches, you know, coaches give us really good access for the most part. And there will be key times where they will say, uh, this isn't for a record, but, mm-hmm. you know, this is what's happening with this guy. Yeah. And it's not even necessarily an injury. Yeah. It's, yeah. you know, yeah. it's just something else. So, so yeah, you, you, you protect that. Um, you, you have to, you know, know how to, to work that in. And, and you know, it, it's all part of what shapes your, your view of that player. I think you explained that mm-hmm. really well. So that certainly goes on uh, all the time. And that's the same whether, you know, I'm working for the team or I'm doing a national mm-hmm. game with NBCSN. You learn uh, to, you know, no, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to bring that up. And even sometimes a conversation can drift there. And you just know, you know, once you open that can of worms, uh, that's mm-hmm. not going anywhere good. And, you know, you're in this for the long term. I'm not here to, to break stories and have breaking news yeah. and uh uh, you know, make, you know, make us black. That's, that's not me. That's not what I want to do. It's not what I've ever done. And, uh, not about to start now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well said. Um, the, the ESPN days, you, you stopped playing you're, 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 and we'll get into your career a little bit. If we have some time at the end, I definitely want to talk to you about those Habs teams and you, you had a nice career, talented player, uh, had to stop early from injury. 
did you get right into ESPN right away, or how soon did ESPN no. two start? And did you start calling games? Did you realize you want to start doing this? Yeah, no, I did not get into hockey right away. I was out of the game for almost four years. Mm-hmm. Um, I I wanted to step away for a while. Yep, and uh, I worked at a couple of different jobs. Um, you know, get into the real world, as people like to call it. Um, <laughs> it was interesting, and uh, you find out that uh, some companies in the real world who, you know, tend to have, uh, uh, you know, point fingers at sports and say, you know, it's that's not the real world, blah, blah, blah. Well, I'll tell you, I worked for a couple <laughs> that uh, had no idea how to run companies. They yeah. could take a lot of pointers from the number 30th place team in the National Hockey League about how to get things done and you know, right. how to run companies. So it was a real eye-opener. It was very, um, it was great for me and have a chance to step aside. I worked for some really good companies, too. I mm-hmm. worked at Merrill Lynch for a while. I got my Series oh, okay. 7 license. But oh, wow. That was, you know, yep. that was terrific experience and a great, you know, corporation. They trained me well and everything. But I really did miss the game. That's when I started to miss the game. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when, uh, the radio job opened up in Los Angeles, um, I, you know, I, I called and, and asked if, you know, they'd be interested in having me. And so that process worked out. And so I worked with uh, Hall of Famer Nick Nixon uh, yeah. for four years. And he was uh, terrific to me and helped me learn how to talk about the game on radio before I ever started television. And then in 1993, when uh, ESPN2 first started up, um, I got a call out of the blue and said, are you interested? You know, have you heard about, you know, ESPN two coming out? And I had just like the week before. Right. And they said, well, are you interested in, you know, in auditioning? I went, sure. So the Kings were great about it. This was actually after my second year, uh, on doing radio. So I did an audition and I thought, well, I don't think this is going anywhere, <laughs> but they actually called me back and said, uh, you know, they put me on the schedule for six games. And um, I was still doing radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Kings were great about it. Same thing the, the next year. Uh, I did about six or seven games again while I was my main job was radio for the Kings. Mm-hmm. And then following the following year, um, ESPN offered me a, a full time deal, and that's when the you know the national thing uh, started uh, for you know in. In, in earnest, and the first Stanley Cup final I ever worked was uh, the Avalanche winning in uh, in '96 over 96. Florida. Yeah, the you know yeah, I was doing I was doing sideline with Thorne and Clement there. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. It um, I I, I well, actually, first of all, will we see a Brian Englom ESPN reunion for the World Cup, or are you contracted to not? <laughs> I mean, can we hear your voice back on ESPN? <laughs> Uh, you know that's a very good question. Uh-huh. I, I'd have to look. I'd, I'd have to look into that because uh, you know they're picked it up, right? I, I yeah, yeah, they picked it up. So, they, yeah, 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 yeah. ESPN's got the World Cup. Yeah, there's yeah. no doubt about that. So far, there is nothing in the works. I can I can oh. tell you that. So, um, uh, it it look NBC does a great job, and before that, Versus was good, uh, and you know NBC's really putting a lot of work into their sports network, and they're they're pumping it up, and again, they're doing a great job. Uh, just as a guy that's been living in the U.S., a Canadian who loves hockey, has been living in the U.S. since 96. ESPN two days with Chicken Parm and Bucci Gras and all the games. I I mean, the ESPN is the worldwide leader in sports. I don't know if the, you know, I, I, I wish there was some way that those Pat, those ESPN guys would be back into the game or, or the NHL would be back into them or something because – those are some great times, and maybe it's just one of those guys. Maybe I'm just being one of those guys where I walked uphill to school both ways or whatever, but I really felt like the network 
devoted a lot of interest and effort to NHL hockey. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. As you know, as the years went along, uh, that's for sure. It grew from the opening days of of the SPN two mm-hmm. uh, when they had very little to work with. They bought the NHL contract and they bought into NASCAR, and those were the two things they were, you know, starting the whole programming with. Like mm-hmm. they had to get programming, like you yeah, read yeah. about. <laughs> now it's you know it's a two, we're talking nineteen ninety three. That's sure. a heck of a long time ago. Yeah. So things have changed now drastically. Over the years, you know, it was it was different. I I loved working for ESPN. They were they were great to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I they things were changing a lot too, um, and you know everything is ratings driven and whatever. Yep. So the number of games, you know, it's complicated. I don't profess to know all the ins and outs of what went on in the negotiations and mm-hmm. why it you know it switched over from ESPN and and uh, you know over to Versus, which became NBCSN. Yep. Um, but. You know, there was there were you know other networks opening up for ESPN as well too. And mm-hmm. since then, whether well, there's five different networks yes. or whatever they have, yes. And yeah. so things were changing there too. And and the chances of games being on regularly all the time, even on ESPN too, was becoming less and less and less too because they have so much programming yeah. now. So a lot of things have just changed uh, over the years. And as you know, NBC. And when Comcast bought NBC and, and Versus became uh, NBCSN and they changed the name and everything, then the NBC people, you know, came in. They have, you know, the worldwide yeah. leader in, uh, in sport, you know, and, and, and all the Olympics yeah. and uh, everything, all their experience and background in, in sports. Uh, they've, you know, a lot of time and money and effort, and they have really built it up over the last several years as well, too. So the evolution of how the game has been, uh, covered um, yep. over these many years has been really interesting. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they push the World Cup and how much they bring hockey back in and who they hire and how that goes. I can't believe the very top of ESPN, you know, when you want to talk, when you go on to go to the NHL coverage, you have to select a drop down menu. They have soccer, NASCAR, NCAA, and then, of course, baseball, football, and basketball. And I'm just like, come on, guys. Hockey's a really big sport. Let's let's promote it a little bit. So hopefully the World Cup helps out. You know. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I. It's you know it'll sound whatever I say is is going to sound a little tainted. You know, right. uh, because I'm I'm not working for ESPN, so I you know I don't really want to you know you know comment on that or how it yeah, all. Of course, yeah, no, or, I don't whatever. Mean it. Just just it just wouldn't be in good taste for me. You know, to to yeah. go there too much. Um, yourself, uh, born and raised in Winnipeg. I don't know how often you get back there. Did that have any bearing on doing Winnipeg Jet regional games at all uh, for those couple of years? Did it? Did that? Well, yeah, sure. Did sure, it? Yeah. For me, it okay. did. Uh, and it actually the the connection actually is a big reason why I got the gig. Oh, okay, because cool. because when you when you if you remember when <clears throat> Atlanta. When they moved from Atlanta to Winnipeg, it happened very quickly. Right, they had to hit the ground running, and they had a million things going on. Well, TSN had the rights to it, mm-hmm. and uh, they had to do the same thing. There was a very small window there, so they're figuring out. Okay, we have these many guys. We're doing this. They had the national package then, et cetera, et cetera. Their guys were spread out. They wanted to build somebody, you know, locally. And they had Shane Knighty, who had recently retired and now does it full-time for them. Yep. Uh, he moved back to Manitoba because so, he's a Manitoban. So, and he was just starting out. They wanted somebody with a little bit of experience and, if possible, a Winnipeg tie. 
And uh, Paul Graham, who was in charge of it, uh, called me out of the blue mm-hmm. and said, you know, how'd you like hey, to you're do from, some, you're from Winnipeg. some Winnipeg Jet games? <laughs> right. And I, yeah, I said, yep. you're from Winnipeg, et cetera, et cetera. So it did have a lot to do with it. Oh, okay. I was thrilled. It cool. was it was great. I got permission from NBCSN to, mm-hmm. they said, sure, fine. It's, you know, as long as you don't, we give you, like I took my NBCSN schedule first and then I would fit jet games around it. Mm-hmm. And also the same thing with, you know, with the avalanche games for games uh, after that. So I was a busy boy there for the last uh, yeah. three years, but I loved doing, I loved the Winnipeg connection, got to see a lot of high school buddies and stuff that I hadn't seen for a while. Oh, that's cool. Loved doing the games. Yeah. It's one of my favorite buildings in, in the league to do a game in. And uh, the connection back to the old peg was uh, awesome. Loved yeah. It. Yeah. No doubt. Right. That, yeah. It's cool to see them. I'm surprised that, they got a team back, but good good job by everybody to make that happen. It's cool, and I've been to a few yeah. games when I get when I get back home, and it's a. Uh, although they're starting to be a little jaded, I hear from some of my season ticket buddies. They're starting this year to be a little jaded, but for a few years there, it was yeah. uh, just pandemonium. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, well, yeah, you know what it's like. You're from there, yeah. you know. Uh, you know what the how how important hockey is, and how badly hurt they felt when they lost their team years ago. To, Yep. to uh, Phoenix and and to get it back again was uh, was outstanding they've supported it well and they demand a lot it's a demanding crowd and yep. they want to see their team be winners and in the playoffs and you know going to cups and uh, it's a slow process and they made the playoffs last year and this year they're not in it so yeah there's going to yep. be grumbling it's a typical Canadian city when it comes <laughs> yeah. to that um, let's talk. Let's switch a little bit to Tampa Bay, the team itself. Uh, they're on a roll right now, seven in a row. They're tied for the division lead. They just beat my Maple Leafs last night. The the uh, actually, I should say the Marlies. They beat the Marlies last night. But um, <laughs> um, first of all, how surprised are you that Jonathan Duran did not get traded at the deadline? Uh, I'm not totally surprised. No. Okay. Um, yeah. it, no, it didn't shock me. No. Um, Steve Eiserman is a very patient guy. When I started to see what the market was like, mm-hmm. and uh, it was you know starting to be pretty obvious, it was a really tough market. And Steve had been uh, very forthright saying that I am going to do what's best for the organization. You're talking about a number three draft pick overall. He was not going to give him away and try to just unload a problem as. A lot of people have tried to, you know, portray it. It is an issue for sure. Mm-hmm. And that's obvious. And, and in my mind, Jonathan Drewen, you know, created the issue uh, because when he walked away, he really put himself in a bad position. Yep. And 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 that's you know that is still true to this moment. It it tied Eiserman's hands in a lot of ways. And Steve is, you know, Steve Eisenman doesn't talk very much to anybody. I've heard, yes. Uh, He keeps everything, yeah, very close to the vest. And he's a very patient guy. But he he did say that there there were a lot of teams that were interested. Mm -hmm. And I'd heard anywhere from 10 or 15 teams that at least kicked the tires. And, you know, he obviously asked for certain things and whatever. And the teams were all concerned that he hadn't skated in weeks with any professional team. Right. Because he's been sitting on the sidelines skating, skating with a, a midget team or a Bantam team or something like that yep. in his hometown near Montreal. So, you know, that didn't help the situation. So um, unless he got the deal that he wanted, he wasn't going to make the deal. And that was obviously very evident. So I do feel bad for, for Drew Ann because I feel bad for his, his career right now. Yeah. And I think he ought to seriously consider going back and knocking on Steve Eisenman's door, picking up the phone and saying, I'd like to come back and go and play in Syracuse again. I made a mistake. Can we just bury the hatchet? And Steve has already said, you yeah. know, if, if yeah. he wants to come back, he's welcome to come back. He won't come back to the Lightning. 
but yeah. get back playing again because I really do believe that Eisman wants what's best for the kid too. And he definitely wants to do what's best for the organization. So the rest is all up to Druin. Yeah. What's gone wrong here. He put up some points early. He got hurt. Um, he went to the minors, it, you know, he's number three overall, like you said, is it, is it yeah. the, the player or the organization? Like what's, where's the, where's the, the gap here? What's going on? Like to me, yeah, sure. He, maybe you know some of his guys that he's been drafted with are, are you know enjoying some success in the league. But I mean, I didn't think that the Lightning were were bearing him. His ice time was pretty good. No, exactly right. They weren't trying to bury him. They're just trying to bring him along. Right. I think I think it it goes back to he's drafted high, and they send him back to junior, and that for him was really difficult to swallow. Okay. Then on top of that, he sees. He sees Nathan McKinnon, whom he played with, yeah. win Rookie of the Year. So I think, and this is my opinion, yeah, yeah. okay, how I how I see the situation. So he's thinking, oh, look at this. You know, the guy I played with, I'm as good as him. He wins Rookie of the Year, and I'm back in junior. Well, he didn't adapt as quickly, and he he was on a different team. Obviously, you know, the team was here in Tampa Bay was growing very quickly. And he came in. Uh, he wasn't ready physically. Um, he wasn't ready for the defensive side of the game. His body just wasn't ready for it. And you ask people around, not just the lightning people, they just say, yeah, it was for his betterment. So he yeah. goes back to junior. Then he comes back this year, and now he can't wait to get going, gets off to a, a very good start. Mm-hmm. He was one of the best players on the ice, the best player on the ice, probably two or three times in the first half dozen games or okay. so this year. Sure. Then he got hurt. And even when he was the best player, we're talking about offense because he was scoring, he was creating a lot of stuff. He gives away a lot of stuff. He's still got a lot to learn about the defensive side. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter who you are or what position you are. Every coach will say and tell you on every team, if you can't play in our end, you don't get much of a chance to play in the other end. End of story. And that's the learning process that you have to go through. And for him, you could see when he came back from injury, he was pressing. And he was giving up a lot of stuff. He was doing like the junior moves, who we like to call it, mm-hmm. trying trying hard. He was trying too hard in the right in the excuse me in the wrong areas. So they send him down. Well, now his feelings are really hurt, as you can imagine. And again, there's just a lot of pressure he's put on himself, and a lot of pressure from being the number three pick overall. Going back to what I explained the first year and yep. seeing McKinnon win and blah blah blah. Right. So I think it just built until he just exploded. And he felt like, you know, everybody was out to get him. And, yeah, sure, he got benched. And yeah, he got pulled out mm-hmm. of the lineup. But he was making some bad decisions defensively. And that's what coaches do in any team. Yeah. But he saw it as, well, you know, Cooper doesn't like me. Whatever, you know, that's between them. I don't know. And then all of a sudden, when they, they send him down, he apparently thinks there is an imminent deal happened. That's what I heard from his agent his side. Agent, yeah, he was under the understanding right. that a deal was imminent, and that's why he left, because he didn't want to get hurt. Now, that's what I read. Mm-hmm. I didn't talk to them, but that's what I read, and it supposedly came from his agent. Steve Eiserman came right back and said there was never an imminent deal. That's not true. So it's not like I pulled it away. So there, there we are, and there it is. Yeah. And how? And Iserman, who's a pretty classy guy, doesn't say much. Like yep. you said, nope. how pissed was he in that press conference when he was saying there was no in it, there was no deal, and like you could just see, 
Like Eiserman is yeah. not a guy I think who wastes a lot of words, and he was not happy. No, not happy. No, exactly. Well, yeah. that's right. Well, because the the intimation there is right. um, the team. I lied or, yeah. or double crossed somebody. Exactly. Well, how would you feel? I mean, yeah. I think I'd be looking and sounding exactly the same way as Steve Eiserman did uh, mm-hmm. when that was put to me as well. So yeah, there was there was no two ways about that. You right. got exactly Steve's opinion on that. Yeah, it's been handled pretty poorly. Whether it's the agent, whether it's the player, um, it's not not good for any. Yeah, anybody, there's a lot of we'll stories. See. Are, see, I, I'm not sure exactly how much of everything. Right. Obviously, he is an adult. Yeah. Uh, he is a young adult. Um, um, but how much or who or, you know, had mm-hmm. his ear or was this all him? Yep. I don't know. Um, as a Maple Leaf fan, Brian, do I get the home or away Stamkos jersey, do you think? Which one would look better? Which which one uh, should I be? St- <laughs> I I I, li- yeah, I don't think you're getting them. I, I listen to yeah. Them. I listen to a lot of Toronto radio uh, podcasts and obviously Ferraro and everything else. And we're all excited for Stamkos Nation, but it is for for reals. It's so surprising the deal hasn't been done. Um, why you know Tampa Bay is a great organization. Obviously, there's the center winger thing. He hasn't been pumped on, but I mean. And, and again, just your opinion. Your ex, you think he resigns? You think they get a deal done? I'm one of the it seems a few people. I, I think he's going to stay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think he's going to resign. Yeah, yeah. I the, think the, it's just a it's it's purely a case of real hard negotiation. Right. I mean, end end of story. Um, you know, it's been kicked around a lot of different ways, and in the middle of it, yeah, there's the whole center wing thing mm-hmm. um and cooper's been pretty forthright he doesn't like to talk a whole lot about it because obviously then it just flares up again and then right. steven's got to deal with it and he's got to deal with it so they try to leave it alone but for obvious reasons he's the coach and he thinks that there are some things lacking in in steve's steven's uh uh defensive play as a centerman and that they, you know, he thinks, and, the, and I think it's, you know, the coaching staff as a whole, they think he's a better winger. Steve Eiserman went through the same thing yeah. at his one point in his career, and Steve has alluded to that. He said, at one point, I had to move over. At first, I was like, nah, I don't want to do this, but mm-hmm. I saw the benefit of it. So they've been hoping that Steven Stamkos would see the same thing. Steven does not like it. I really respect how he's handled it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't whine about it. He doesn't roll his eyes. He doesn't. He just answers. I'm not crazy about playing wing because I feel like I get the puck standing still. I feel a little limited. I've always played center. I like to be on the move. I like being on the puck, and I feel more comfortable there. End of story. Mm-hmm. You can't be any more direct yeah, than yeah. that and right. not make a big deal of it, but you still answer the question, here's why. So they agree to disagree. The coach is the coach, and the coach wins those those arguments pretty well all the time. Now, lately, he's gone back to center. When the Mestikoff got hurt, that's where it started. They mm-hmm. rechanged the lines, and Stephen apparently uh, <laughs> he you know, was going to show him, like, uh, yeah, I'm really right. And he has played his tail off yeah. over the last seven or eight games. He's been, he's been really, really good. Yeah. So, you know, getting back to the, whether they're going to sign him or not, um, and again, you can kick the numbers around. Uh, there have been really good stories written uh, about you know what the number should be, mm-hmm. and uh, you know ten million keeps coming up, and I don't see that uh, that number happening, especially for a long term deal, mm-hmm. because you can go to K- Caves and Kane to yep. make that. 
and say, well, they've got three Stanley Cups. You don't. You've been to the finals. That's a pretty strong argument from the management side. Then on you know Stamkos' side, obviously he's scored a lot more goals than those two have. So you know that's their side of the story. But you know championships speak louder than anything else for any management, especially a guy like Eiserman who's been on both sides of that coin as well too. Yeah, really, the right. goal scorer who yep. had the, who had to learn to play defense under Scotty Bowman and then finally won near the end of his career. So there's a lot of ins and outs here. So um, what the number is, you know, Florida, no state tax. So, you know, he can take home making nine million or eight and a half million, take home as much as a lot of the other big, you know, players like Kopitar at his new deal, because California tax is so high. Sure. Um, You know, there's a lot of different ways to cut this. So it's interesting, but it's just good old fashioned negotiation because there are other players that have to be signed. Kucherov's deal is up, too, and yep. that kid is a marvelous player. Next year, you've got Hedman, Johnson, and Bishop. And Bishop so yeah. there's only so much to go around, and they want to keep him, I'm sure, but they want to keep him on a number that's manageable so that they can keep this core, which is a really good core, obviously, keep it together as much as possible. So therein lies the rub from the management yep. standpoint. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Paul Hockey Podcast Show. Having a good time doing it, and uh, thanks to our guys for coming on board over at Righty Board. Righty Board's Power Play Whiteboard is hockey's first restickable portable hockey whiteboard that goes wherever you go. Whether it's needed at one end of the rink or one end of the country, the Power Play Board sticks to any surface your team needs it. Vivid graphics and a white background on the front. Removable, long-lasting, air-free adhesive on the back. Visualization is now your ultimate weapon. It's the most versatile, practical, and simple-to-use whiteboard in the world. Every rink, every team, every coach needs to get a few of these Power Play whiteboards and check them out. Use the code PULP at writeyboards.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y, boards.com, to get 15% off your Power Play board. All right, back to the show. Yeah, and again, this is just a view from the guy from the couch. He hasn't been the same since the broken leg. He hasn't scored on that rate. He's a very, very good player. Um, he hasn't been yeah. as dominant as he was before the broken leg. And so if he's looking yeah. for 10-5 money, uh, I can get Iserman saying, uh, you're not where you used to be. He's on pace for you know 30 now, which I guess nowadays in the league, of course, that's still awesome. But I, I don't know. That's just a guy from yeah. the couch. He, he's not quite the same guy. Yeah, and you know, and it can vary from from year to year. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of this, you know, being around and being around his neck uh, all season long, and you know, some of the center left wing thing, he's you know, he's had to deal with yep. some things. It doesn't mean that you know next year he doesn't pop back up. I mean, he could he could easily get thirty five this year, maybe even thirty eight. He's got what twenty eight goals now. Yep. So you know, there's still twenty games 20. to go, roughly nine, eighteen, sure. I guess. Um, but you know, he's got a shot, and he is a streaky scorer. So yeah. you never know what the number. So that that's certainly not a terrible number. But yeah, uh, next year is next year. Every year is different, and uh, yeah, it, it's just a good old fashioned hard negotiations. And I so, think you have to respect both sides to do it. But there's so much outrage around the league about oh, you know, they're crazy. They haven't signed them and yeah, all this. But yeah. you know, it's it's not it's not their money, right? Yeah, you yeah. got to manage this and balance it. It's tough. So cancel my jersey order. He's not coming home. He's yeah, not, he's not. He's not well, home. my opinion. I, yeah, my opinion. I think you cancel your number ninety-one Stephen Stamkos Toronto Maple Leaf jersey. Yes, I think you cancel. It. Okay. Um, <laughs> hey, uh, I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't know John Cooper. I just see him in the interviews and 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 highlights or whatever. He seems like a really nice guy. He's funny. He's outgoing. Um, I, what's he like to deal with? I think he, to me on the outside, he seems like a, a really good dude. 
He's a very intelligent guy. He's uh, one of a couple of attorneys around the, around the league. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's a smart guy. He's a studious man, uh, very observant. You don't get to become a coach in the NHL by being stupid and not being able to handle and manage people and handle and manage games and, you know, uh, put together game plans and uh, both on and off the ice and, and how to manage your group. Um, he has all those attributes and, he did it, you know, uh, by a, if you want to measure success by a very narrow margin, uh, number two to Quenville last year because yeah. they lost to Chicago by two games. Sure, yeah. So, he, yeah, he's he's a, he's got a, he he loves the little quips, and you can see that look in his eye sometimes too, where he uh-huh. wants to say even more when he's asked a question that he probably <laughs> thinks he's dumb. But uh, it's funny, yeah. He's got a good sense of humor, a very wry sense of humor. Uh, very driven and motivated guy. Uh, very good, you know, for us to deal with for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you go and ask him something, he'll he's not going to, you know, sell the farm and tell you everything he's thinking. But uh, he'll, you know, he'll give you give you an answer on on what you want to know and what you need to know in order to do your job. And uh, right. you know, that's all we can ask. Do any of these guys at all? even know about that you played with the Montreal Canadiens in the late 70s and you had this this 659 game career with uh, you know obviously the Capitals after that do, do these guys want to talk to you at all about Lafleur and Shutt and Dryden and Robinson or, or, I mean does it even do they even no, register no, that no, Brian no. Ingram did, did, did all this stuff um, I really have no idea to be honest <laughs> with you um, not that they've said right. you know, I, I haven't talked to any any of the players yeah, uh, about that. You're, uh, I you're think just I'm, the broadcaster, I'm, huh? I'm, I'm more, yeah, I'm more, yeah. I'm just to them. I'm I'm a broadcaster who's been around for a while, so I really don't know what their knowledge uh, is dep- about it. That's uh, depressing. Rick, Rick, well, Rick Bonus. I mean, and and I'm you know John Cooper. I'm sure knows a little bit of the history. I mean, he knows yeah. I played in Montreal. Right. Rick Bonus, the associate coach. I played against Rick. We started at sure. the same time, yeah. so he knows it. And he and I, he and I chat about it from time to time. We had a little chat last night, even last in Toronto after the game yeah. uh, over a beer. And uh, so, you know, we try okay. to chat about it because he was in that era too. Yeah. I mean, I realize it's a long time ago, you know, I'm 41. So, um, you know, I'm younger yeah. than you, but, it's but a while ago, but you know, still, I mean, uh, anyway, so yeah, I, I, you know, in my job again, I, I see these great motorcycle riders and they, these, the younger riders, they just don't even know what these guys were. They were badasses back in the day, and they're just like, ah, whatever. You know, <laughs> I guess it's just life. That's yeah. the way it works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a little too uh, too far in, in history to, uh, mm-hmm. uh, to for for players, you know, nowadays to think about. And, and yeah, I get that, but right. you know, we we those of us that were there, you know, have that. And I said there, are, depending on what city you're in, especially in Canada yeah. and in Montreal, there's a great respect for you know for the Cup years and the Cup teams. And I mean, any of the guys that are still around from the early '70s or even the '60s Stanley Cups, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people recognize them. They go back to Montreal, and it's pretty amazing. Or they recognize a name, you know. And there's a great deal of respect. It's a it's a wonderful place, Montreal. Yep. I it's a and because of those teams and what we went through, it's a great place to go and always have a, you know, that special place for me, for sure. It was a great place to win and a terrible place to lose, and that's the way it should be. Well, you lost like 10 times a year, Brian. <laughs> yeah, well, a little more than yeah, that. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I know. Yeah, that, that I came up at the, in the playoffs that year right. that we only lost eight games yeah. all year. And then, yeah, I think we lost, what, 10 another and then maybe 17 <laughs> right. in, the, in the fourth cup year. But, yeah, it wasn't a lot of losing. And every single loss was the end of the world, <laughs> which is right. the way it should be. You know, it was, Fire it everybody, was right? I mean, 
10, yeah, well, 10 guys in the Hall of Fame plus Scotty Bowman. So yeah. Uh, it was, yeah, pretty, pretty good team. Do you look back on those early years and, uh, again, like, did you appreciate it at the time that you were walking into a room with these guys? Or were you like the guys I now that so. you call? You know, or were you like Tyler Johnson and these guys that are like, ah, whatever? Or were you amazed at these dudes? Uh, um, I think because you're in it, right? It's it's a little bit surreal. Mm-hmm. So you appreciate the players, and you knew you knew some of them were going to be Hall of Famers. I mean, you just knew Ken Dryden was, and Savard, Robinson, Lapointe, you know, Guy Lafleur, Steve Shot. Yeah, you could see that coming. Yep. Um And so, yeah, you're. But they're your teammates, and you're they're your friends, and you're part of the group. So, but at the same time, there's always kind of that feeling of, yeah, I'm I'm in it, but I can't quite comprehend that I am <laughs> I guess maybe that's a good way to put it you know when you're early in your career and, mm-hmm. and that was at the very beginning of mine so you walk into a team like that and you just try not to you know you keep your head down keep your mouth shut try not to make too many mistakes and it just kind of goes from there they take you in uh they were great had some marvelous times uh, and it's true what they say when you win a championship you never forget those guys I mean right. I can see the room in my mind and remember exactly where everybody sat in yeah. the room. And uh, that's from a long time ago. That Hall of Fame Montreal Canadian locker room in there, is that it? Is that really it? Like they kind of recreated it? You, you uh, ever been down there? Yeah. Yeah. From what it, yeah, I, I haven't been to the Hall of Fame in quite a while. Oh, okay. Actually, but yes, I did. I did no, I did see uh, uh, the replica of it. Um, and yeah, it's, it's pretty close. Right, it's right. Pretty close. The room was the room was actually pretty small, especially by today's standards. Yeah, sure. Some of the rooms are much bigger. Ours was uh, sort of long and long and narrow. It wasn't mm-hmm. big at all. Uh, and you know, I, that was uh, actually and wasn't fancy. No individual stalls. Yeah. Uh, just you know, hooks. You had your nameplate, and you had a couple of you know hooks on the wall were yours. And then yeah. you know, the next guy was right beside you. It was just long benches on either side. A short bench at one end where the captain sat, and that was Ivan uh, Cornway. Mm-hmm. And at the other end uh, was a short bench where the two goalies were. And uh, you know, then entrances at, at, at either end. So yeah. pretty, pretty small room. Did you? Uh, and I guess you can't really complain about ice time to Scotty when uh, Robinson, Lapointe, and Savard are ahead of you on the yeah. depth, depth chart, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you certainly couldn't blame them for playing their tails off all the time because. Yeah, I mean, you know, when in the key games and in the playoffs, one of those three was on the ice, you know, virtually all the time. Every time, right? Um, yeah. As 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 often as possible. Yeah, uh, the game was was different then, and mm-hmm. you know, you could you could play like that. Robinson and Savard played together a lot, and Gila Point played with Bill Nyer up at first, and then Billy left after what the second cup? I forget now. I think mm-hmm. second, uh, second or third, um, but. You know, and and I was just coming in, so yeah. I mean, I was you know scratched in some games, and yeah. I had to work my way in. And even when I was dressed, yeah, you just you know sort of like I said, you go out there and try not to make any mistakes. And then a couple of years in, by that last cup of the '79, mm-hmm. then I was you know playing them more regularly. But still, you know, it was it was uh, it's it's funny because people think, oh, it must have been you know, yes, it was great to play on that, that those teams, right? But and they'd say, well, it must have been easy because you didn't lose much, which you alluded to. Yeah, but actually, it was the reverse for me because the team was so good, and you felt like everybody played so well that you were just—I was paranoid about making mistakes. So, you <laughs> know, everything always started with 
you know, don't, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. So I, there are a lot of things I look back on and I wish, you know, I'd like to restart and redo. And coaching back in those days was a lot different than it is now. Everything's pretty positive. Oh, yeah, they get yelled at yeah. for sure. And yeah. there's pressure. Oh, absolutely. But coaching styles are a lot different now than they were. And it, it was tough. And Bowman was not fun to play for. I hear that. not fun. And so there, there was a lot of pressure. So uh, I would like to, you know, what I know now, you know, how would it change how I played and whatever, it, it would. It, it would be different. But at the same time, you know, that's uh, looking back, that's, uh, that's what you have the right to do in later years. Yeah, it's funny, Brian. Like I've heard, I've read the game, and I've read these books, uh, read all these autobiographies about Scotty Bowman, and even going into Detroit. And you know, he wouldn't know guys' names. He wouldn't. He would yell right, right down to the bench to Dave Lewis, like, "Hey, bench Chelios, he's crap tonight," or whatever. So then I hear yeah. Scotty on Hockey Central podcasts or these radio shows. He sounds like a jolly old man, laughing and telling stories. <laughs> He really does. And I'm like, how is this guy the tyrant that everyone says he was? Of course he was. I mean, that's, you know, multiple players have been like, yeah. I hated that guy. I couldn't stand that guy. Yeah. He played mind games with me. But I don't know if you listen to his interviews, but he sounds like just like Santa Claus in his interviews. Well, well, I'm, you know, I'm glad for him then. Yeah. Right? It's like it's about time. You know, he's, he's still involved in the game. Right, he right. will be until the day he dies, I'm sure. I mean, uh-huh. he's a consultant for his son's team, Stan. Uh, for the Chicago Blackhawks, right, so right. Uh, and obviously, I mean, there's so much knowledge in that head. Yeah, I'm sure, it, it's yeah. incredible. You know, his knowledge of the game and numbers and history and my goodness, you know, and assessing right. talent, whatever. Um, but yeah, he didn't. Uh, yeah, he was. He was. He was not not fun to play for. I no. mean, there was a lot of pressure, and he was very direct. And I'm putting that mildly. Um, <laughs> he didn't mess around, and yeah, you got you got yelled at pretty good, and uh, that's that's the way he. That's right. the way he ran. The, I remember Steve Shutt in one. I think it was in one of Dryden's books. Okay. Uh, Steve Shutt was asked about Bowman, and he said, "You know, he said, did you ever see the movie The Dirty Dozen?" And, <laughs> and that's an old, old movie. Yeah. I mean, he was asked about this years ago. Right. But basically, in a nutshell, it was it was about the uh, the commander was such a complete you know what to mm-hmm. all of the men that they all universally hated him, and that's what kept them together as a team. Right. And that's how that's how Steve uh, basically described Bowman and the and the environment there. And Scotty didn't care, you know. He didn't. Yeah. He wasn't there to be your friend. And uh, so that was Steve's description. I thought that was you know that was pretty apt about yeah. about how it worked. There was no no friendship, no consulting. He could walk right by you in the hallway, you know, in the morning, you know, as you're walking into practice, and not even look at you and not even say hello. So crazy, it's much different from from the jolly guy that you just talked about in interviews, and it was his right to do it, and yeah. he's got the record to prove it, and 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 he obviously adapted a certain amount over the years too into Pittsburgh and then into Detroit. Yeah, but you can still, yeah, it's, the stories that you know you heard from Detroit, they were still there too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then I hear the interviews, and I'm like, man, he seems like a good guy. <laughs> uh, but anyways, yeah. Um, uh, Robinson, you were a defenseman. Robinson, Lapointe, and Savard. I don't want to ask you which guy was better or whatever, but who was the king of those three? The, the big three. They went. They won all the cups together. Lapointe was probably underrated as far as a player. Uh, Robinson, of course, has the more trophies. But um, was there a guy that maybe shone more than the other guys out of those three? The big three, they call them. 
Um, did you, are you, I think you, yeah. yeah, you pretty much nailed it there. I mean, Larry, Larry got, you know, more awards and all-stars and everything else. He was the more underrated of the three. Uh, mm-hmm. He was uh, pretty quiet, a very talented guy, terrific goal scorer. I think he had 20, 22 goals or something one year, if I, if I remember right. in one of those, maybe the first or second cup year, terrific offensive skills and defensively Larry and Serge played together a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and Larry, Larry could really dominate a game, especially when he got pissed off because <laughs> he could really nail people. I remember that, remember that one hit on Gary Dornhofer mm-hmm. just inside the blue line against the Flyers one time. I thought he was going to put him right through the boards and into the first three rows of the seats. Unbelievable. And it was a clean hit, but mm-hmm. just shook the building. So he could do all of that. Plus, he could just grab the puck and, and just go, you know, huge yeah. strides. Big shot, and I mean, he was plus 120 one year, 120. Well, hey, you so were plus that 78. About, hey, you were plus 78. Yeah. So let's let's let's. Yeah, that's, you know. a, that's a long ways away from 120. <laughs> um, but you know, Larry could dominate. Uh, Serge, very smart guy, and I. It, it would have been interesting to see Serge's career because he broke his leg really badly twice mm-hmm. early on in his career, because he started in the 60s, right? So yep. by the time I came around, he was just in the last couple of years of his career. Yeah. But a brilliant guy. He could still go into the corner with any two guys in the league and come out with the puck in our end uh, probably 90% of the time. Yeah. He just had a way about him, and that was such an overlooked part of his game. And he would just clean up messes, you know, and say, Larry, go, you know, go do your thing, get <laughs> right. up the ice, whatever. I got and this. then, you know, yeah. stuff is going to go wrong and he's going to get caught and Serge would figure it out. You know, he did a lot of that. And when, uh, and you asked Scotty Bowman, I've, I've read things about Scotty saying that when he's asked about the great defenseman of all time, he'll, you know, bring up four and all that. And most of the guys that, you know, people, uh, other people will bring up from history, but he puts in Serge Savard when most others don't. Yeah, and he always says that Serge is one of the great defensemen of all time. And had Serge the one time he broke his leg, I think he broke it in six places. And so, what his career would have been like, you know, because it obviously affected his skating and whatever, what he would have been like, because he was Larry Robinson before Larry Robinson was. You watch old tape of his first or second or third year in the right. league, Serge. He was magnificent, the ground that he covered. Great hockey mind. And uh, I learned so much <clears throat> from those three guys because of what they did and how they handled themselves uh, more than I did from Bowman or any other coach, really. Right, right. Um, because I was able to be right there on the ice with them and in the room with them and saw how they handled themselves. And that taught me a lot. Yeah, phenomenal. If there was the Internet um, back in 1982, it would have broke – uh, you, Jarvis, Langway, Craig Laughlin to caps for Rick Green and Ryan Walter. Uh, I guess before the yeah. season started. Uh, wow, what a trade. Did you have any idea? Like what, what, you must have been just bombed, right? You're going to Capitals, who at that time, I mean, they, were, they weren't as bad as they were in the late 70s, but they still were not the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, you know, I actually found out about it the night before. Oh, okay. Um, my, my agent called me, Norm Kaplan. He's, mm-hmm. He passed away a long time ago now. But he had, I think, what, five of us in that deal? Yeah. So, And he was dealing with David Poyle. Was David Poyle was in Washington. That was the first deal David Poyle ever did as a GM. Oh, geez. Wow. And Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he had been talking to Kaplan, I guess, sort of, you know, behind the scenes and mm-hmm. said, uh, it started off, Rod Langway had asked for a trade. Okay. And uh, because he was an American citizen, he felt like he was getting killed on taxes. He wanted to go to the U.S. I didn't even know that. I, I don't know how many guys did. Not too many. It was quiet, right. quietly done. 
And uh, so it started off, from what I understand, years later for Ryan Walter for for uh, Rod Langway. Okay. And then, it, and then it became what it became. So I get a call from my agent the night before, and he goes, look, here's what's happening. And uh, it's becoming a bigger deal. And you are in the mix. But David Poyle really wants you in the deal. But if you're going to be upset about it kind of thing, like mm-hmm. he doesn't want somebody who's going to be unhappy and have a bad attitude kind of thing. Yeah. And I'm stunned. Yeah, I was stunned on the phone. Dude, yeah. And uh, he, he said, well, you know, think about it. He said, you don't have to tell me right now, but, you, you know, get back to me soon here because he wants to know, in other words, like in an hour or two. Yeah, yeah. And so we, we talked a little bit longer, and I said, you know what? I, I'll tell you right now. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. I'll, I'll be fine. You know, if they, if oh, Montreal's, so. my, my thinking was, if Montreal's willing to deal me, then something's, you know, yeah, uh, not a miss, but you know what I mean? Right. Like, right. I'll, yeah. I'll just go with it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to buck that feeling because I think that would always bug me that they were willing to trade me. You know, like that was me, long right. before yeah. the no trade clause, right? <laughs> yeah. So I don't, you know, I don't know how I'd be with the no trade clause now, to be honest with you, because of that situation. So then the next day you get called in one at a time and yeah, we traded you. And uh, so I went, Oh, okay. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> You're like, yeah, you later. I'm already moved. I'm already got an apartment in Washington. Um, yeah. yeah. Cause, cause <laughs> Scotty was gone by then. Bob Barry was a coach. So, yeah. you know, you weren't, you know, you were probably a little yeah. happier with the coaching he, situation. He was but. pretty upset. I, I really liked playing for Bob mm-hmm. and we had had him the year before and he was really upset about it. He, and he said to me, he said, I did not want this to happen. I'm still kind of pissed about it. But he uh-huh. said, I'm not the GM. I'm the coach. He was very nice. And yeah, yeah. he was being, you know, he was being nice to the guy that just got traded, too. But it was really nice. I'll still, I'll never forget how, and I could see on his face, you know, that he was, he was upset. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, that made me really, you know, feel good. And I, I really appreciated that. Um. Look, uh, Ryan Walter and Rick Green are good players. There's nothing wrong with them. But David Poyle just... This is a steal for him. This was a steal. <laughs> well, so. I mean, Rod ended up going, becoming a Norris Trophy winner, right. and they retired his number, you know. Um, so, and he was a captain for years. So he's one of the, you know, biggest names, probably the biggest name in, in uh, Washington Capital history to this point because, yeah. of the, and he's he's a Hall of Famer. Yep. So, and Doug Jarvis played there for years as well, and Craig Lachlan. Is still there. He's still there, he's right? The color guy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he has, he's, he's never left on TV. So yeah, <laughs> right, so that, right. Um, um, yeah, it's. Uh, you go through your career, uh, traded from Capitals to Kings, uh, Kings to the Sabers. Now, at some point, I was reading about you last night, and I always remembered that your career ended early um, than what it should have. And I was reading an article yeah. on you, and it said that Brent Ashton checked you. You got a bad stinger. And in the process, uh, doctors discovered that you had a little bit of bone spurs that kind of made you hang it up early, right? Is that it was, was it the check or was it like a hereditary oh, yeah. thing, or was this all just uh, one check? Uh, no, it wasn't. That was like the crowning blow. Okay. Um, yeah, it, it, it was. You know, the check was fine. I mean, yep. I remember him coming from the you know from the side, and I was shooting the puck into the zone. It was right at center ice, right in front of the Calgary bench because I ended my career in Calgary. Uh-huh. And he came and hit me, finished the check, and his shoulder came right up under my chin, and my head snapped back. Oh. And uh, I went down on the ice there right in front of the bench at center ice, and I was completely paralyzed for, I don't know, maybe almost a minute. Wow. I couldn't move yeah. at all. Yeah. 
So that was a pretty scary situation, to say the least. Oh, I bet. So anyway, the bottom line was, you know, with the MRIs and whatever, in you know, after that, uh, in later weeks, uh, they saw the damage that was in there. So I, I had fusion. You know, I had, I had to have uh, bone, the bone spurs cut away because they were putting pressure on the spinal cord, mm-hmm. which is which is uh, what good. caused uh, <laughs> the issue. Yeah, the, yeah, the doctor actually had a great explanation. He said, you know, your spinal cord runs through your your spine there and is protected by bone. But he said, in your case, those bone spurs, it was kind of like putting a kink in a garden hose. That's what happened to your uh, mm-hmm. to your spinal cord. And your spinal cord is, is as touchy as your brain. I mean, you literally, you know, can't yeah. touch it. Something bad happens. So the doctor said, you're really fortunate. You know, it wasn't partially severed or completely, you you know, you never would have gotten up again or never moved again. Jeez. So I was very lucky. And then, you know, he said it was like a kink in the garden hose. And then it just on its own just sort of snapped back and you're very fortunate. But anyway, they went in and, you know, cut away that bone and I got fused. And, uh, yeah, they said, you're done at that point. Uh, at that point, they told me there were probably only about maybe 250, 300 surgeries that had been done like that in all of North America. Oh, wow. Now you have in, now you have individual surgeons that have done four or 5,000 of them, yep. individual doctors. That's how different it is now. Uh, so, uh, but at that point they went, yeah, you're done. No NHL team's going to touch you. We, you know, we just heal up and you're done. Cause we don't know, you know, what would happen. So, and then Gary Roberts had the same, very similar thing, you know, uh-huh. years later, yep. he retired for a bit and then he came back from it and yep. played another couple of years. And, uh, I, I, you know, when I saw that, I went good for him. I, I would love to have been able to do that because I knew like I had issues, yeah, yeah. you know, that, that, uh, uh, we I couldn't bench press 120 pounds anymore because oh, as soon as I put yep. got in got in that you know in that position with my head kind of neck kind of kinked up, mm-hmm. um, just no power at all. So I told the doc- the doctor said, "Oh yeah, you I'm sure you had multiple symptoms that I could describe to you that uh, over the years." And he yeah, did. Yeah. He rattled yeah, off a yeah. couple. He said. He said the area you're affected, yeah, your your hip flexors are affected. So he said it's probably <laughs> affected your speed. I said absolutely. Right. So you know that's where I would have loved to be able to come back and and sort of retrain and and go. Yeah. You know this it wasn't my fault sort of thing. You know, but I never got the chance to do it. So you know it is what it is. The career ended a few years earlier, but I'm you know way more fortunate than a lot of other guys. So uh, in the long run, it was uh, it was a great run. Yeah, you're 26, 27, probably at this point, maybe a little older. 32. Oh, 32. 32. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you did have a little bit of a run, 659 games, but man, that sucks. You know, it sucks to be, to kind of, you know, your last play was a check that you were semi paralyzed and, you know, and just kind of, you yeah. don't get to go out the way you want to go out. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, exactly. You know. but, but you know what, Steve? Most most guys don't. That's true. Various it's, reasons. It's, there it's a there good are point. very very few guys to get to do. You know the farewell wave tour around. Uh, yeah. You know the Kobe Bryant deal this year. Right, uh, right, right. Uh, in in the NBA, uh, there are some guys that get to do it in the National Hockey League. Very few, and a lot of times it's either because of injury, which happens often, too mm-hmm. often. Or, you know, all of a sudden managements uh, give up on you and say you're done. And you think, well, uh, maybe I could have done it one more. Uh, no, you're done. Yeah. So various reasons, that's the way it is. And yeah. you take it and move on. Do you have any effects today or in the last little while from this surgery and injury and all that? Or? Oh, yeah. 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 It's, it, Still. You know, it, it fixed a lot of things and it took a, the danger, you know, away. But, oh, yeah, I get a lot of, you know, numbness and things. Okay. I, I don't play. I, I, haven't, I haven't played hockey probably in about 12, 10, 12 years yeah, yeah. because it just, it still gives me, 
too many issues with my neck and my shoulder. And it's like, really? I mean, I don't want my arm hanging for, mm-hmm. you know, for three days afterwards because I played hockey. I, I miss being able to play, but it just wasn't worth it. I did it for a while and just having constant stingers and whatever, uh, it just, you know, quality of life. I was like, sure. this is ridiculous. I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. So I don't, I don't play hockey because of it. And, yeah, I still get a few issues with uh, numbness and burning and all that sort of stuff, but I have it under control, and uh, it's way better than it was, so that's about the best you can hope for now. Brian Engel, I'm on the Pulp Hockey Podcast. A couple questions to wrap this up. Brian, thank you for doing this. It's been a, been a real treat. Um, your best game in the NHL, do you have one or two that stands out? Uh, you didn't score a ton of goals, but you were plus 78, so you were obviously you know, you were, you were a good player, but did you have games that, a couple games that stood out for you? Um, well, I think the first, first game you ever play, yep. um, which was a preseason game. Um, I certainly remember parts of that. I can't say I remember the whole game yep. preseason game in the forum against the Buffalo Sabres. And, uh, I remember having a one-on-one with Gilbert Perot, um, <laughs> about halfway through the first period. And thank God for Larry Robinson, because before the game, he bailed before you the game, he took, Oh. He took the well. No, he took okay. the roster, yep. and he went. He went down. He went. This guy. I, this guy. I don't know. You know, there's yeah, young yeah. guys playing on their team too. But he goes. This guy Perot. He said, "You've seen him play, right?" He said, "He almost never shoots. Just keep backing up. Stay in front of him. You just run him out of room." Right. So yeah, sure yeah. enough, I get a one-on-one from their blue line. So you know, two-thirds of the ice. Yeah. Uh, one-on-one and I'm just about shaking in my boots and I kept remembering what Larry said just keep I backed up so far I think my ass was touching Ken Dryden and and he still didn't, and he shoot, still didn't and shoot and I was able to knock the, knock the puck away into the corner <laughs> and uh he didn't score he didn't make me look bad I still remember that so that's funny. um yeah the, I mean you know the cup games yeah. uh, especially in 79 when you know that's the one I was really involved in mm-hmm. uh, mostly um, the first playoff game I ever played when I was called up from Nova Scotia, that was in St. Louis. That was in uh, the second cup year. Mm-hmm. And uh, the flu went through the team, and a couple of guys were injured, so I got called up. And so the first game that really meant anything, I'd never played a regular season game, was in the playoffs against St. Louis. So uh, I was shaking in my uh-huh. boots there yeah. trying to not make any mistakes, and I know we won. I don't remember the score. but yeah. So those ones would be – and then uh, – some of the um, we lost and we lost badly, but uh, Canada Cup in '81 when we lost oh, in the final right. game to the to the Russians. Yep. Um, and the last the last three goals even were sort of academic because you just knew mm-hmm. we got off to a bad start. There were a couple of bad goals. I think they had us down four to one, and we just knew like you know not yeah, much yeah. was gonna coming back against those guys. They were just rolling. So even though it was really unfortunate, I can't remember if it was eight one or eight two. I think it was eight to two the score or whatever. Yeah, but I, I, it was still you know very memorable for me in a lot of ways uh, that were actually very positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so because you know I was never expected even to make the team, and uh, just you know playing in that tournament uh, was one of the you know great things uh, ever. And in internationally uh playing in the uh, world championships in in 83 too in in germany with team canada that there were a couple of games there that were outstanding uh that was we were you know just 
so much fun and great experience. So uh, I think it's those would be a couple off the top of my head. Yeah, I remember I was a, as a kid, I was a big Mike Leute fan, and I think he got lit up in that eight eight one game or eight two. Oh, he game. did. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't his best game. It no. wasn't all on him. No, 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 no. Yeah, I, that. I was very upset. It wasn't his best game, and they just got rolling then. And then there were a lot of mistakes. And yeah. you know, I'd look at the lineup of that team. I forget now. I I did look at the team picture one time, and I think there's. 16 Hall of Famers, although I haven't updated it, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, but, yeah. 16 guys in the Hall of Fame of the, on that Team Canada, so it was pretty extraordinary. Uh, best game you've called? Which games has stood out for you, one or two games? I mean, again, you've been doing this for so long. You've called some epic, epic games. Uh, is there a few that stand uh, out? Didn't you do the five um, overtime? Didn't you do a four or five overtime one one time? No, okay. I didn't do that Washington, you know, Washington uh, Ranger, uh, excuse me, a Washington Islander game. No, I didn't do that one. I've done a couple of overtime games. Um, I don't know because, you know, I've done a lot of, I did a lot of sideline. Yeah, you know, yeah. With, with uh, Gary Thorne and Bill Clement. And so uh, I remember when I think it was when Detroit's back-to-back wins. Yep. Um, going out on the ice, one of the most surreal experiences was, when the when the cup the final cup game is over mm-hmm. and uh, they open the Zamboni doors and you're down there at ice level with all the other people that are going to stream it's like the running of the bulls you know they open the <laughs> Zamboni door yeah. and when it's all over and everybody goes out on the ice and everybody's looking for their players to interview and there's confetti on the air and everything yep. it's like slow motion it's like you're watching the movie Steve and everything's in slow motion and you see that the person in the movie is looking around and they, it's surreal. That's yeah, yeah. what I felt like so many times in those situations. And I can't remember if it was the first or the second of the back-to-back cups for Detroit going out there and watching and interviewing some of the players. Yeah. Uh, and their their responses were the looks on their faces. Well, you've like been Luke there, too. Robitaille. You know, like you've, yeah. yeah. Luke, you know. Luke Robitaille winning his first cup. Uh, Brett Hull winning. Uh, Sergei Fedorov was simply outstanding. Yeah. First. I interviewed him. And one of the questions I asked, I forget the exact words, but I, I remember saying, uh, Sergey, you know, some people think that the Russians care more about world championships mm-hmm. than they do uh, Stanley Cups. And he just kind of yelled, that's not true. <laughs> and he had this big smile on his face. Yeah, and he yeah. was so euphoric. Right. I, I will never forget that look on his face. And uh, Brendan Shanahan, other guys, that look of just, it's hard to explain, right. you know, but just being there and talking to some of those guys right on the ice when it first happens to them and they're trying to calculate exactly what's happening to them. Uh, pretty extraordinary stuff. I think I would put that right up there at the top of the list. Did you point out your name? Did you say, hey, guys, check this out? I'm sorry? Did you point out your name and check it? Say, hey, guys, check it out All right here? Oh, on, on the on the cup. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, no, it wasn't. Uh, I never I never got close to that to the cup on on the ice to be able to do that. And I certainly would never do that. To yeah, them I know. Right I'm, there on on that spot. I'm but, kidding. Uh, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty good kick. To be honest with you, it, it mm-hmm. is a pretty good kick to see the Stanley Cup and, and walk walk up there and see your name on it. It's, oh, it's a pretty good kick. There's no I can, doubt. I can imagine. It's awesome. Um, thanks for your it time. It never comes off. <laughs> yeah, no, I know, right? Um, <laughs> thanks for your yeah. time, Brian. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for taking the time for us on the podcast. Great stories. And, again, Tampa Bay Lightning catching fire now, uh, going for the division title, yeah. uh, looking like they're back. You know, the ship is back on the uh, – 
Back sailing again after a little bit of a rough yeah. start, but um, yeah, so it looks like it'll be a successful. Yeah, yeah they're, they're starting to roll pretty yeah. pretty good now. It's going to be very interesting from here on into the end, no doubt. I agree. Well, thanks for taking the time for us. I really appreciate it, Brian. All right, Steve. Thanks, thanks for having me. Thanks.